welcome, and it's great to have you all here. What I, what I think we could do is, um, I'd like to set Yeti Kolash in the context of his time and sort of consider who he is. And then I would like to have a really discussion with you about this particular work, Confrontage, from 1950 to 51, 10 works from a series. Because I have certain questions about this work and the images that he uses there. And I think it'll be great to get your help in really understanding what he was doing at the time. Now, I had a great opportunity of meeting Yeti Kolaj on several occasions. Um, and actually, in many ways, he was really formative for me. As a young person, I think at the age of 19 or 20, and remember, I'm also Czech, just like him. And I have also lived through a communist time. We haven't had a chance to see any really contemporary works. Uh, I would go to the museums to really look at the classical works, but I had no idea what does it mean in the visual arts to be modern or contemporary. And um, I was also a student of law, though I totally loved art, but I was told I have to study something so I can really survive in this world, you know, meaning having a salary. So here I am uh, walking on the street and there's a big window, almost like a shop window, and I look inside and I cannot believe my eyes. Because what I saw is not necessarily this. We are, we are, I think, in 1968. Now these are 51. But I saw objects such as a big apple, or a globus, or a chair, or covered with collages, meaning bits and pieces of torn paper, not black and white as we see here, but colorful and paste on these objects. And I had absolutely the shock of my life because I knew instantly that I'm in the presence of contemporary art. And that's what it looks like. And at that moment, I thought, I, I just want to be really part of it. I have to be part of it because it just talks to me so strongly about the world that I live in. So that's my little introduction of Collage. I also had a chance of including him in two of my major exhibitions in the past, one at the New Museum and later on uh, in the large international show that I curated, starting in National Gallery of Prague and then traveling to Brazil and Argentina and Poland and so on. But that's beside the point. It's just that you know this first dream was then realized by meeting the artist. I met him for the first time in Paris when uh, he, after his imprisonment in uh, Czechoslovakia, and after, just like me, but I was so much younger, he uh, moved to exile. When I say moved, uh, basically we're saying escape. Um, and at the time he lived in a, writer's, a French writer's home, and he was really working on the table, coming back to these kind of collages. And you know, what was amazing about him is 
I was nobody, really. <laughs> I just uh, knew about him through another curator at the Pompidou Center, and I asked, you know, would it be possible to visit him? It was done within literally half an hour. She called him, he said, of course. And I came, and there was both certain kind of integrity that I could tell, and the person of high morals, but at the same time, a great sense of fun. And he was there at the time when it was very clear, like to all of us emigres, you just don't know whether you will survive, both as an artist, but also as a person. Uh, and yet he was so generous. He gave me immediately some pieces of work and gave me a kiss, and it was really amazing experience of great generosity of meeting with a great man and sort of knowing that being great means also, you know, you can be very ordinary and very modest and, and you can really achieve something important in your life, which was a message for me. Now, this is a personal story. Let's, what I think it's, I would like to read to you something that he has written. Because originally he started as a poet. He came from a very poor family. His father was a baker and his mother was seamstress. He lived in the town of Kladno, which uh, is a major town for coal mining. He only had a grammar school in, in that town. He was unemployed. He earned his living through all kinds of you know, working class type jobs. But at the same time, he was writing. Um, eventually, he became part of the group 42. And this was a group of avant-garde artists. And he was the only poet. Maybe not the only poet. He was a leading poet with other theoreticians. So he was really, you can say, self-made man. What's his experience before I go into the writing? You know, what is this person lived through? Well, he also lived through the World War II. Uh, he he uh, saw Auschwitz Museum. He wasn't in Auschwitz, but saw afterwards, after the war, and described it as the biggest shock of his life. And he lived... Uh, through the beginning of communism in Czechoslovakia and through 1950, I was born in 48, so it started the year I was born. And so he lived through the time of the greatest executions of individuals, whether they were poet or other politicians, and the kind of debasement or disintegration of morality of the human communication, the period of a huge fear between each other. And to him, another thing which was terrible is how you can use words to tell lies. So though he originally started as a poet, he started to think that the words, because they tell lie, have to disappear and be replaced by something visual, when it's up to you individually to create the words for what you see. So let me just read you a couple of things. Um, the 
kind of to set the tone for those, and you of course also know a little bit about the history, because these works are a bit of a puzzlement to me, you know, and I need, as I said, your help. Um, this is how he describes his visit to Auschwitz, meaning to the museum. It was one of the greatest shocks of my life. A glass-walled vast room full of hair, shoes, suitcases, clothes, artificial limbs, dishes, spectacles, toys, and the like. All of it marked by a terrible fate, marked by something with which art has been unable to cope and with which it may never be able to cope. In this room, my skepticism towards anything that has employed and goes on to employ shock tactics towards anything that would, that would want to irritate or provoke any kind of exhib exhibitionism became complete. So artist against, you know, any huge exhibitionism or any huge gestures. From one of his poems, and I'll read that too, he says, a person who demands to appear to be more than he is, he becomes horrendous. That's another one. Um, what he really always believed in is the reality and the art cannot be separated. And then eventually he wrote, human correlation with events and explosions of fate, which squashes an individual so suddenly and so deeply, that consequences of such adversity cannot be strained or ironed out, convinced me that my activity might be useful for attaining some measure of awareness. So all of this, of course, very modest. Now, why was he imprisoned? You know, was it some kind of a political activity or what was it? Actually, he wrote during the most difficult times in the 50s, uh, a long poem, almost like a, a novel, which was called Prometheus' Liver. What was, what was his poems like? Just like the group 42, they use in their works, particularly him in his poems, a readily found writing, whether in the newspapers, in other books, in poems by other artists. He would listen to what people talk on the streets. So though it would have a certain kind of poetics and writing, it would also replicate in the book the fact, facts that he would find even in some political speeches. Remember, this is also a time that North Korea provoked the war against the South Korea, and the communist regimes were of course on the part or part of the North Korea idea. So lots of people were losing lives. And so during this time, he wrote the Prometheus Liver to really register and tell us what was happening. And though it is a novel, I'm sure you wouldn't want me to read the whole thing, but I read you one short part, so you get again the measure 
of his writing, but also measure of his thinking. 1st May to 20th May 1950, Saturday. All ponder over mankind and no one thinks of people. All talk about books and no one can say an honest word. All call for the brotherhood of nations and no one knows how to offer a hand. All are building and no one sees what has been built. All want to resurrect the world and no one sees the living. All fight for the rights of the fathers and no one sees the sons in slavery. All enthuse about peace and everyone has forgotten what it means to die a natural death. All are ready to bleed for the better mankind and no one knows himself. All speak about love and no one knows the meaning of the words good day and good night. All are working on the greatest task of history and no one knows what he's doing. All are striding towards the shining goal of the future and no one knows which way he's going. All are willing to die for the homeland, for culture, for the glory of their great deed and no one knows what the simple modesty means. So, you know, here you have the collage. He was a great inspiration also to people like Václav Havel, who was a great dissident and later on president of Czech Republic. Czechoslovakia to begin with and then Czech Republic. Now, my question to you, or something that we can do together is, you have heard he's an important historical figure, importance that he wrote, using the reality in his work, and when he turned to visual images, and when I look at those, and I should also say that I helped to select them with Maria Klimeshova, who then worked on his estate, and with his wife, Biela Kolářová, who was also a great artist. I'm looking at them and I think, are they really reflect his time? So I'd like you to look at it. And then the view of what I have told you, what do you think is going on? In other words, well, I'll let you do it and then we can talk. Not really, you know, it's a sequence that I have kind of put, put together with, uh, with uh, uh, Maria Klevesheva, but it's only 10 works out of maybe 100 and 120. He never saw all of them, that all of them would have to be together. So what do you think, do you think there is something missing there or, or is you think that there is something there that you really think reflects his time or what do you think is going on? This is a very good question. Al is here asking, our one visitor is asking, where are these pictures from? I really don't know exactly which one is from, but it's a very typical way that he worked. He cut out images from magazines, newspapers, books. So they are very simple reproductions. Also remember he was a carpenter by training 
And so he said, you know, I didn't really know how to draw, but I know how to cut. So, you know, that's another uh, big honesty about him. A lot of them don't look like they're from the 50s, so they look like they're older. Yeah, they are from the 50s. Um, but the photo, the photo. And if he's talking about reality of his own time... There's a very strong journalistic quality to it all, and every, every frame seems to be unified by some kind of thematic element, whether it's water or um, a monumental aspect or uh, disassembled structures in one. Yeah, uh, so all of them are journalistic, you said, and all of them are unified by a particular theme. He seems to want to leave a record of something. Yeah, he, it, 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 he's leaving a record. Do you think something is missing? Uh, 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 color is one thing that is missing. It, it's, I think something that is just maybe too obvious is just that there is no interpretation for you. There are several disconnected, unconnected images that it's left to us to interpret. Okay. Yeah, that's true. So you are right. This is why he says the words are not there, of course. But you know, to me, there is something absolutely missing there. We are in Czechoslovakia in 1950. Great trials, huge political proclamation. We are in today's Korea. He is taking images from newspapers. Why aren't we looking at any of the politicians of the time, right? Why are we not looking at any of the people that are condemned in these trials? It, you know, I, I, go and look at afterwards Bruce Connor, right? A report, 1964 to 1967. Fantastic documentary, right? after Kennedy's assassination. Uh, uh, Kiefer, you know, this is a perfect company also for collage. Kiefer, World War II devastation, right? Of course, done much later on. Heads on, destroyed fields, the book, the Bible, whatever you want to call it. What is it? Why didn't collage, if he says he talks about reality, why is it, as you Ryan have said, this is the 50s, but the images feel older? What do you think? <laughs> okay. Well, I think, I mean, to me, it makes me think about films. Like, a lot of these look like there may have been stills from films or older culture. So it kind of is more about history. Um, that's, I guess, maybe it's more about a history that preceded the time. Um, but it is a little more like fantasy. Some of it. It's very much like an escape. Like I see landscapes over there where you could escape, or theater which you can escape into. But then some of it looks like a very precarious too. Uh, he was born. Sorry. Question was uh, how old was Collage in 1950 when he made these confrontages? He was born in 1914, so he's 36. Correct. Um, some of them, the images look like they're from the Victorian times or from the early 20th century. So, 
maybe they're autobiographical in a weird sort of way. Maybe they're more about his childhood. I don't know. Huh? No, I was just thinking maybe it's more of a commentary on, it looks like, technology and the changes and just the human condition. I'm wondering if maybe if he did do things that were politically motivated, if they would have been taken or if he would have gotten in trouble and maybe those are just the things that we don't have today, not that they didn't exist. Yeah, I, I mean, I have been, these were two interesting comments like living in the past or living in the dreams and then kind of being almost afraid to look at, at the things that are current. You know, I, th I started to think this way as well, and I, and I think we are into something. I think this is kind of correct, because I said to myself, what if this was an artist who lived during Hitler? The bombings and prisoners taken to Auschwitz and so on. Would the artist be using images of Hitler? Therefore, my kind of conclusion also is, remember that during this time, I am three years old, right? Um, and I knew already then, or maybe a little bit older, definitely by five, that you just cannot go and talk to anybody. You know, that there are certain things that maybe you shouldn't be saying. And so you are living in a period of great fear, enormous danger. I think also of an incredible disgust with what is going on. Because, you know, this is a communism that happened after Czechoslovakia was liberated from Germans in 1945, meaning enormous sense of happiness and conclusion of something absolutely dreadful, and suddenly you are swept into another dreary thing. I just don't know what it feels like, I kind of do, but in a less sort of intense way, of going from some one dreary thing into another, but it's more than dreary. It's almost like um, you cannot live like a person. You know, there were also part of the poems where he wrote that the death, that the, the life is poorer than death, meaning it's so devoid of any kind of joy or a, a, a possibility of making yourself into a person that it's almost better to be dead. So I, I wonder whether all of this is reflected in it. And you know, I really don't have an answer because it started to puzzle me for some time. And I started to read about him and I just couldn't find an answer to this. And some of the historians that I had a connection to already not with us. And they haven't really written about this in such a detail that really is of interest to me. Because later on, in 1968, where, as you recall, Czechoslovakia was invaded by Soviet armies, he wrote a diary, you know, again, visual diary. This is just a part of it. And here he was able to create a collage with uh, images right from the newspaper where uh, it shows the clothes of a boy or a man who was killed 
And here you have again from the photographs the invasion of Prague with um, some kind of you know, shooting and so on. And here Dubček, who was at the time the um, the key person in the politics um, and responsible for. I think it was called socialism with human face. So here, during the time, he was able to do it, but here he wasn't. And I have a feeling, and you know, it's just a feeling that the time was so, so debilitating, so painful, that it was really impossible to look at the images that surrounded you, or there was a decision absolutely not to use any of these images at the time because he hasn't completely processed them. He actually did use some of the members of the Communist Party of this time in the work that then appeared in 1968. Any other comments on that? I'm not feeling your, um, uh, the kind of positive, sympathetic posture he might hold towards death at all. Um, even in the devastated settings, he's picturing people doing things. He's celebrating in a way, but uh, the life as it was then, no matter what the cir uh, circumstances might be, there's an almost defiant ordinariness and mundaneness about everything. He's, not, he's militantly refusing to reach for anything noble or transcendent. They may be doing eccentric things, but they're just people living and they may be just looking at what surrounds them but they are alive and they're doing things at their level and um and i think he i think he's he's really liking that um he's liking life on that level a lot he's uh, he's not interested in anything higher or more collective perhaps more noble uh that's what i'm sensing it i i see a real positive um, vibe coming from these. Now you saw the other hundred pieces, was there a different mood among some of them? No, I didn't because some of them were already moved. I, I actually agree with you. I totally agree with what you said because in a way his work, as well as his, whether it's visual or poems, they always celebrate human life and for example one of his last images ever, uh, I don't know whether completely the last was uh, uh, when he was dying already, uh, was a big egg, kind of completely black. And I think underneath it said something like, now I don't enjoy life anymore. Or, you know, but it was like basic saying, and you understood that this is what happens when you start passing away. And, it, and he said it almost as a fact. Oh, I had the thought, and then it just escaped me. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about what this man was saying, and I, I think, and a lot of what you've been saying, and <clears throat> we're in a museum with really, really big pieces of artwork, and a lot of times scale is a very powerful scale, but there was a real trust, I think, in himself to make work on such an intimate scale, and so much for people to look at on an intimate level, like. You know, a bunch of people can't gather around one work and look at it. You really have to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship to it. So I think what I got from what you were saying is the humility, but also when he was talking about celebration, I was thinking when things are really, really bad, you actually, as an artist, I think, go to your artwork to resuscitate yourself, to um, 
to find a way to keep feeling inspired. Because I imagine after World War II and a lot of those things, you become very disappointed in the human race. And you'd have to find some kind of activity to feel invested in living in your body and going about your every day. So I guess I was trying to reconcile what was very dark about what you were saying, but very light about what he was saying. And I think that maybe the artist is reconciling the darkness of the period that he felt he was living in with a world that might have been more positive in his imagination. I have a historical question. I'm actually curious what his relationship was to the pre-war Czech surrealists. Um, whether, because it seems like they would have been a strong influence on him. Thank you. Yeah, there, there was a lot of interest in surrealism, uh, lots of interest in futurism, but he and other artists of the 42, group 42 were also great admirers of Marcel Duchamp, the ready-made, meaning that you can take any object and call it art, and it is art because you are an artist. Um, he loved the poetry of Walt Whitman. Uh, he translated Beckett. He loved Ionesco's absurd theater. So this is a person who kind of uh, completely loved particularly writing uh, and uh, was deep in it, and of course he was very close to other artists of his generation inside Czechoslovakia, but also, you know, trying to be knowledgeable of what's happening on the outside. You know, when I was choosing this work, or choosing the work of Collage to enter our collection, um, I, I was also thinking of the whole kind of conceptual movement in Europe and in the United States, meaning you can use the photograph, your thought is most important, you know, a certain kind of simplicity. And I thought, you know, he could be almost like a precursor of that particular thinking. And so that was the main reason for me to concentrate on the works of this period because they were almost like the earliest collages he made before he started to have larger works and very colorful and you know with different elements. So I wanted to catch for the Hirhon and for the collection and for the, 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 the juxtaposition of that work with others maybe something that he was almost even signifying for the future. And you know, to this day, I'm not sure. I mean, this is what you are as a curator. You know, you look at something and you are thinking about the collection, you are thinking about person's work, and then you dwell into it. And um, you know, the family also didn't necessarily want to part, part with many works because they were hoping that they would end up at the National Gallery. So we were making absolutely sure as we were selecting that a very similar juxtaposition of works would end up at the National Gallery in Prague. So I was working with them to make sure that they end up with a solid work, as well as selecting something that would speak to sort of, you know, predominantly an American viewer. So that's how it kind of all happened. It was a very nice collaboration. 
really glad you mentioned Whitman. I mean, <laughs> says it all, right? Kind of ties it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate coming.